The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio 680 WPTF and 98.5 FM. This is the Turning Your Life Around podcast, presented by 180 Counseling, hosted by founder Sarah Coates, a licensed clinical mental health counselor. In this podcast, Sarah and her team of therapists will dive deep into many topics on mental health care. Here's your host, Sarah Coates. Hello, and welcome to the Turning Your Life Around podcast. I'm joined again by my colleague, Brenna Arnold, a licensed clinical mental health counselor associate. Welcome back, Brenna. Thank you for having me, Sarah. I'm glad that you are willing to share more of your knowledge and expertise with the listeners. Today, we're going to talk about panic, panic attacks, don't panic, how not to panic, all that good stuff, which is probably pretty relevant these days, given how mm-hmm. how difficult and oppressing our society feels at times. And I know that a lot of people talk about feeling panicky and having more panic attacks, or maybe they're experiencing panic attacks and they've never had those before. So I appreciate you jumping on here to share a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to be back. If anyone has not listened to your first podcast with us, just share for a minute about how you got into the field of mental health counseling. Yeah. So I, like many other mental health clinicians I know got into it initially for very personal reasons. I think there is not a person in the world that is untouched by mental health concerns. But this topic about panic attacks and panic disorder and kind of all of the emotions and things that go along with that is pretty close to my heart. It's something that I struggled with personally prior to entering the mental health counseling field. And one of the reasons that I got into it and really developed a passion for it. So yeah, this topic is close to my heart. Prior to getting into the field, like I mentioned, as something that I was going through. And then for a while, I worked at a crisis counseling hotline, 211 Big Bend in college and undergrad, and then also between my undergraduate and graduate degree in mental health counseling. And then I pursued my master's in mental health counseling at University of North Carolina, Greensboro. So that's kind of how I got into the field initially. What a great school. Great campus. It really is. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, we're glad you're here, and I'm glad you're here, especially today on this episode. You just said something that I totally resonate with. Before I got into the field of mental health, I didn't realize that I, too, had panic attacks and had actually been having them since age 10, and at the time, obviously, didn't know what I was going through as a child. So interesting, you know, just like you mentioned, and I talk with other mental health professionals, that we all experience things and didn't really know there was a name for it until we got into this field. So this is why I'm so passionate about A, advocating for mental health treatment, but B, squashing the stigma around seeking out Mm -hmm. treatment because we're surrounded by youngsters and adolescents and friends and family members who suffer from mental health issues and they don't even know what it is that they're suffering from or how they're being affected. So I I love doing this podcast just to put out more and more information to listeners so that they say, hey, wait, that's me. I, I, I've had that before. Mm-hmm, I didn't know that exactly. was called a panic attack or, or whatnot. So, so why don't you jump in here and just share a little bit about how we can be aware of what emotions are happening first? 
Right. So I think talking about emotions first and foremost is an excellent baseline to understanding what's exactly going on in your brain and your body when you are having a full-blown panic attack, or if you're someone who struggles with panic disorder, which I'll get into a little more lately, um, or having at least some sort of panicky type symptoms. So I think the emotions that go along with panic attacks are, you know, the pretty obvious panic, right? Which is both similar and I would say different than more generalized anxiety. So when we're talking about panic, I would kind of equate it more to like a fear response. You know, when we talk about the body's fight or flight response, which I think many folks are aware of, kind of just giving a basic rundown on what that is, your sort of knee-jerk reactions, your automatic responses to some sort of stimulus in the environment that feels threatening to your body for one reason or another. For example, I'm thinking of comparing it to an automatic reaction, such as like when you set your hand on a burning stove, right? You learn pretty quickly to remove your hand. You don't have to think about it, but it's kind of an automatic response. And when it comes to feeling fear and panic, those are the emotions that sort of drive that survival response to something that could potentially be life-threatening or for one way or another feels that way to the body versus some more similar emotions that may also go along with panic attacks, I would say is more generalized anxiety, worrying about the future, the possibilities, the what ifs of what might happen. And then you get into more like anxiety disorder territory, generalized anxiety disorder territory where that's excessive. And, you know, it feels like a constant battle between you and your brain worrying about some of the things that could happen or trying to make meaning of some things that are causing some sort of worry response, which certainly I think can contribute to the more acute and by acute, I mean, kind of automatic panicked anxiety responses that go along with panic attacks. And all of these I would differentiate from stress, which I think a lot of times stress and anxiety can feel again, pretty similar and sort of go hand in hand. And of course, everybody defines and experiences motions differently. But in general, the way that I kind of describe it is stress is a normal response to some task or problem, something that needs like extra energy to be completed. You know, like taking a test for some reason, it can actually be good for your body to be stressed a little bit in order to help you focus. You know, when it becomes an issue, when it becomes this thing that gets in the way of functioning is when it passes the threshold of usefulness and goes into anxiety territory, goes into panic attack territories where it's keeping you from accomplishing things in your life versus the other way around. And I could go on and on about defining emotions and the power that it can give you to kind of recognize what's going on in your body and your mind. But I believe we actually have a podcast episode on this. The first one by Erica Smith, she does a lovely job just about emotions in general. So if you haven't listened to it already, I'd encourage you to check that out to kind of get a more general rundown on emotions overall. So one thing that comes up a lot, because I specialize in treating female clients with anxiety, the difference between an anxiety attack and a panic attack? And are they different or are they the same with just different names? It's interesting that you asked that. And I would kind of refer back to sort of the mentality that everybody experiences emotions differently. I don't know that it matters what you identify them as. Um, I can say as a clinician who has a very specific protocol for diagnosing, when we have panic attacks, you know, that is kind of sort of the vocabulary that we use. What I will say is 
what difference would you say between anxiety and panic attacks? To me, an anxiety attack would be just more like a heightened anxiety response, something that might go on for a while. But to me, panic feels different because I've experienced both. I experience anxiety, which a lot of us do. To me, panic feels more frozen, more paralyzing. That's just kind of how I sort it out in my head. I mean, they're kind of the same. Anxiety attack, panic attack, they're both rooted in anxiety and fear Mm -hmm. and maybe some alert systems going off or going haywire in our body. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that's a good way to conceptualize it because there's a difference between versus partial panic attacks versus full-blown panic attacks. And I would sort of equate the full-blown panic attacks with what you're describing as a, an anxiety attack, sometimes going on for a maybe longer period of time with more low-grade symptoms versus a full-blown attack. You can kind of have all of the panic symptoms at once and sort of leading to that frozen feeling. Your heart rate goes up. You feel like you can't catch your breath. Your chest gets tight. Sometimes it can go with like tingling or numbness in your hands or your feet or your limbs, um, body feeling hot, racing thoughts, feelings if you're dying or having a heart attack, feeling of nauseousness and muscle tension. And they're really terrifying when you do have a full-blown panic attack. However, sometimes, you know, technically to meet criteria for one, you don't need all of them. I think you need like only a handful. And so a lot of folks will experience sort of what you're defining as more of an anxiety attack where they're having some of this, either like it's coming kind of acutely and coming on pretty strongly, or maybe having like a tight chest for the whole day. And and also like pairing that with the more generalized anxiety where you're worrying a lot and having to deal with the body or somatic symptoms along with the cognitive or the thought anxiety, which both can be pretty debilitating. And we know that a lot of people show up to the ER with what they think are symptoms of a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes they are after scans and all the different EKGs that are run, uh, the medical providers will diagnose panic attack instead of heart attack. A lot of these anxiety or panic symptoms present uh, in our body that way. Absolutely. I mean, I can remember the first time I ever had one kind of similar to what you were saying before. Although now that you had mentioned the fact that you had been having them since you were 10, part of me wonders if I was having them younger, but with children, we're like, oh, they're having a temper tantrum or they're kind of just being a kid. You know, a lot of times I wonder how much of that is sort of these panic symptoms, but The first time I can remember having one as an adult, I was driving and I had no idea what was going on. I want to say, you know, memory is not super accurate, which I might touch on a little bit later, but I can remember just my thoughts were racing, you know, and I was wondering, there's a lot going on in my life at the time, just with family and things like that. And then suddenly I felt like I couldn't breathe and my chest was getting tight. And I had had these symptoms before. I would say probably more anxiety attack where they were more globalized, more like low grade and long lasting. But this came on suddenly and I was petrified and I pulled over and I had called my boyfriend at the time, now husband, thinking that I needed to go to the hospital and go to the emergency room. I was in school pursuing psychology at the time. So at some point, as I was describing what was going on, it had clicked in my head like, oh, I'm having a panic attack. But my gosh, it felt horrible. And 
it's scary when you don't know what's going on. It's scary in general, but I would say, especially if this is something that is new to you or that you've never experienced in your life prior to what's going on, my gosh, it's terrifying. And it can feel like you're alone and quite literally feel like something fatal is happening to your body. I've had clients talk to me about feeling like numbness or tingling in their Mm -hmm. legs. I've had clients talk about having to pull over because they feel all of a sudden, well, they don't feel their legs. So then, you know, quickly exiting or pulling into a parking lot. Some people talk about describing this outer body experience, not feeling in touch with being real or being present. Is that a symptom of panic Mm -hmm. attack? Absolutely. Sarah, it's actually a pretty common. It's called dissociation. I think some of you listeners might be familiar with it, but some of you might not. And there's a couple different types. Derealization, which is kind of feeling detached from your environment, sort of, I've heard it described as feeling as if your environment's not real or you're in a dream, just something feels off about it. And then on the lower end of the spectrum, I would say just feeling foggy and disconnected, sort of spaced out. I think that's really common with folks who have anxiety in general, but especially folks who struggle with panic attacks. So the derealization is the one type of dissociation and then depersonalization, feeling like you are not real which is absolutely petrifying feeling as if you are not real or you're just disconnected from yourself. It can be an out-of-body experience where you're sort of watching yourself going through the panic attack or a latent response after having a panic attack, like your body heart rate and breathing and all of those sort of like somatic anxiety symptoms can calm down. And then your brain is like, well, I'm done. I'm going to take a break because this environment and you, your brain is not working for me. So I just am going to go offline for a second, which, you know, it's kind of a lighthearted way to describe something that's really scary. But I also think it can help sort of remind folks that like your nervous system and your brain are, are trying to find equilibrium. So if your nervous system is responding like that, you know, responding as if it would to some sort of fearful stimulus, and then all of a sudden you're fine, your brain is trying to calm yourself back down. And so some of that can happen. I've also think it's really common with folks who are in remission, such as myself from panic disorder, maybe the full-blown attacks are rare. The derealization piece, suddenly feeling like your environment is super unfamiliar, you're kind of like in a dream or feeling like you're disconnected from yourself can happen when things get really stressful as opposed to a full-blown attack. So like you've learned to sort of calm down those other symptoms, but the brain is still going to do what it's going to do and trying to get you back into your state of balance. And we'll talk more in a few minutes. I know you have some tips and tricks up your sleeve on how to ground yourself when those kinds of things happen. But what are some triggers that might trigger a panic attack? Yeah. Oh my gosh. What is not a trigger? I think would be a better question. Really panic attacks happen kind of like I was talking about before. It's based on the body's fight or flight response. So this automatic reaction to what the body is perceiving as a threatening stimulus, similar to burning your hand on a stove and immediately pulling back similar to you're in the woods and a bear is chasing you and you want to like run away and fight, but you're not really thinking. And it's actually a good thing to have this fight or flight response because you don't want to be thinking logically, for instance, when you're running away from a bear, you don't want to stand there and be like, well, 
I see a bear there and I remember a rhyme that I learned in elementary school <laughs> and I'm going to get this wrong. I don't remember it, <laughs> but like one, and I grew up in Florida, so there were mostly black bears, but like one bear, you're supposed to stand up tall and one bear is supposed to curl up in a ball and the other one is supposed to rhyme. So there's like so many different responses, but like, if you are taking the time to think about that in a life or death situation, you're going to die. Like the bear is going to come and get you. And it's sort of similar when humans, I guess, you could say have evolved a lot over the millennia, kind of from where we were, a lot of our threats look different today. So while the life or death threats still happen, and you want that fight or flight response to be activated in those situations, um, it's also more common to be activated when you are taking a really stressful test and you're worried that you're going to fail. Folks will start worrying about their relationships and thinking, wow, this you know, I said something wrong to this person and now in kind of, kind of sort of spiraling into the generalized anxiety, the obsessions, you know, some of those more modern, I would say responses, but the body doesn't know the difference. The body is still going to respond with that rapid heart rate, the breathing, getting faster, your body getting hot, just like it would if you're running away from a bear. I mean, and you think about it, what are some other really benign activities that bring about the exact same physical responses? You think exercise. When I go for a run, my body is hot. I'm sweating. My heart rate goes up. My breathing goes up. The tingling and things like that, I would say, is probably a little more latent with the anxiety. But I'm quite literally fleeing at that point. So your body is prepping to do the exact same thing. So I would say so many different, it just depends on the person. There are so many different things that can activate this. And then you have other things to consider as well, such as trauma, trauma triggers, which can elicit, you know, what I think a lot of folks know of as flashbacks or intrusive thoughts, you know, when you post-traumatic stress disorder, if you are faced with a what the body's perceived as a life or death situation with something in the past, and then you are faced with something that reminds your body of that time, it can bring about the same response. So you've got trauma, and then you've also got phobias, which can bring about panic attacks if you're faced with the thing that you're phobic of, which is excessive fear of something that shouldn't bring about that much fear relationship triggers. I mean, I think I'd mentioned that social settings, public speaking is another one that really brings about this like really intense anxiety response. And then you have good old fashioned panic disorder, which those just simply come out of nowhere. It feels like, and the panic attacks themselves are what's causing you anxiety that what feels debilitating. There's not any specific trigger or stimulus that you can trace it back to. And then when you have panic disorder, much like when somebody has PTSD, it can quite literally take over your life as you try to do everything you can to avoid the trigger or in the case of panic disorder, avoid the panic attack. So limiting certain social interactions or trying not to leave your house as much. We're getting in, you know, that's, there's a term for that. It's called agoraphobia, similar in those two cents. But regardless of what causes a panic attack, whether full-blown or partial, it's really coming from the nervous system's globalized reaction to stimuli, which essentially just means it doesn't have to be the exact same thing every time that triggers your response. It just if it feels that way to the nervous system, that it's not really good at differentiating what's life or death and what's not. 
it's going to err on the side of caution, right? Like if something feels threatening, it wants to activate you to respond so that you survive. But it's similar for those who have generalized anxiety, excessive worry, all of those things. So you're describing a little bit about the differences between panic attacks and panic disorder, what triggers these things and symptoms, which is all very helpful information. So let's talk for a few minutes about what we can do when we have these panic attacks or anxiety attacks, or when we feel frozen with our own panic? Yeah, um, I have lots of tips. <laughs> um, the first one I'm going to go through is uh, what's called grounding. Some of our listeners might be familiar with. It's sort of a type of mindfulness, as in like, let's get you into the present moment. So instead of worrying about the past, if you're being triggered by something traumatic that happened to you a while ago, and it's bringing about a panic attack, or you're worried about the future, and that's sort of activating your body's fight or flight response, leading into a panic attack, or if it's something that's coming out of nowhere, right, you want to connect to your physical environment, and the present moment, because more than likely, if you're wanting to calm down your panic response, you're not going to be in a life or death situation. That's when you want that activated if you're running away from a bear. But if you're having a panic attack and that's the thing that's causing you distress and you want to calm down, talk to your nervous system, tell your body it's safe. And you're going to do that through grounding. A couple ways to do that. There's a couple of mental grounding skills that are my go-tos because they're pretty easy to remember. So if you're having like the racing thoughts and it helps to sort of focus on something that is not bringing about anxiety in you, we can do the five, four, three, two, one technique. And I like this one because it's sort of easier to remember, but essentially like if you're feeling panicked or you feel a panic attack coming on, what are five things you can see, you know, looking for small details such as the pattern on the ceiling or the way the light reflects off of a surface or an object that you've never noticed before in your room, something that doesn't bring about any sort of strong emotional reactions and describing it in your mind or out loud in as much detail as you can. And it's sort of hard to think about the anxiety triggers that are happening when you're focusing on this task. So starting with five things you can see and describing them in as much detail as possible. Then moving on to four things you can feel, you know, noticing the sensation of clothing on your body or the sun on your skin, the feeling of the chair that you're sitting in or the weight that you're putting on the ground. You know, if you want to lay on the ground and sort of feel your body literally grounding on the ground, that's another really positive one. I think that reminds your body that it's safe and kind of going through the senses. So same thing with three things that you can hear that one I like, cause it forces you to be quiet and pay attention. You know, even if it's just a car way out, way out in the distance or something that you tend to tune out like the ticking of a clock or your breathing, that kind of thing. And then two things you can smell and one thing you can taste using the same sort of procedures. Another mental one I really like is choosing a category. So for instance, movies and naming as many movies as you can think of, or as many TV shows or as many books as you can think of, things like that. And then the physical grounding is another one that I wanted to talk to. So I think the five, four, three, two, one technique really plays into that in the senses, but also you're wanting to talk to your body as well. So 
I think I had mentioned before and sort of alluded to the fact your brain sort of has, it's an intricate organ, so I don't want to simplify too much, but essentially there's sort of two ways of thinking. There is the lower brains functioning. That is the part that's primal fight or flight responding immediately. And then there's the executive functioning of the brain that's more logical and reasonable and things like that. When you're in the middle of a panic attack and your lower brain is the thing that is responding trying to talk to your upper brain or your executive brain is only going to make you feel more frustrated. I am willing to bet there are folks who are listening who have been in the middle of a panic attack or, or having some sort of panic response. And someone is like, well, you shouldn't be anxious about this because X, Y, and Z, you've done great on all your tests before. So you're not going to do it again. Or like, even if you fail such and such, sometimes it can work, but if you're already activated, it's not going to work. You have to talk to your lower brain. And that's where I would say, using the physical grounding, talking to your body would be essentially helpful. There's an acronym that is used in a few theories, but specifically I'm thinking of dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT, called the TIP technique. And this is this is a technique that exclusively talks to your body when you're feeling activated in some way or another. So using temperature to alter your body's responses, intense exercise, paced breathing and progressive muscle relaxation. When you talk to these four things, what happens is it activates the body's dive response. So if your fight or flight response is going, we talked about this before, your temperature is up, your heart rate is up, your breathing is up, your muscles are tense, all of the things that are prepping you to fight or flee. If you kind of elicit the opposite, sometimes it can help you calm down. This works especially well if you're like leading into a panic attack and you know that one is coming. So you kind of like feel your body getting hot and your muscles getting tense. Go take a cold shower or in the wintertime, step out in the cold in a short sleeve t-shirt and shorts for 10 minutes, bringing the body temperatures down and the heart rate along with it and and the breathing along with it. And I promise it's going to be really hard to think about much else if you are trying to stay warm in the winter or a cold shower, or this sounds a little nuts, but like putting your face in a bowl of ice water (laughs) or taking ice to your forehead or your chest, you know, kind of using that temperature. The I and tip stands for intense exercise. So this one's sort of, it's not the opposite. This one is like taking all of these symptoms that, that are in a panic attack and sort of swinging the pendulum the other way so that it's easier to calm back down. So you notice your heart rate going up and your muscles tense, go run a mile or half a mile or do jumping jacks for two minutes, you know, sort of tricking your brain into thinking, oh, I'm not going into a panic attack. I'm just getting ready for exercise so I can relax now. And then paced breathing is the other one, you know, and really just taking your time, breathing all the way through to your belly, slowing your breathing down. I will say about that one, that's really hard to do once you're already panicking, which I'll talk about that in a minute. But if you notice that you're heading in that, sometimes being able to control your breathing, whether it's just counting four seconds in, four seconds holding, four seconds out, or just paying attention to slowing it down deep through your belly, that can be helpful. And then progressive muscle relaxation. There are a few videos on this, but essentially what that teaches you to do, you can look it up on YouTube, is to tense each of your major muscle groups in the body, similar to what I was saying with exercise, pulling the pendulum all the way. So if your muscles are already tensing, you're going to tense them harder, like squeeze your fists as hard as you can and then relaxing them and then like pulling your shoulders all the way up 
to your earlobes and holding them tight, feeling the discomfort and relaxing them. And like I said, there are videos on that as well. So those are a few of my go-to grounding. I have like a million more. I think it's awesome. I was just listening and you're just sharing just some really good, helpful, applicable tips that the listeners can take away immediately and use. And I'll chime in too. My favorite paced breathing exercise. And again, this is probably hard once you're in a full-blown attack. But for me, when I feel an anxiety or panic attack coming, immediately my alert is I feel like I can't get a deep breath. I feel like my lungs mm-hmm. can't fully expand. And so my favorite technique to bring me back to center is alternate nostril breathing. And it sounds so weird and it feels funky Ooh, the first time. Yeah, but it feels funky the first time you do it. But it is, for me, so helpful. And just the constricted breathing in one nostril and exhaling through that same nostril and then switching sides and taking a deep inhale from the other nostril fully and then exhaling completely every ounce of air out of that nostril. You repeat that maybe two, Mm -hmm. maybe three times and really just whatever it does to regulate. I don't know the science behind it, but however it helps me regulate my nervous system and my Mm -hmm. breathing, suddenly I'm like, okay, I have prevented that panic attack from really coming on fully. I think any kind of paced breathing is so helpful when you're in getting ready to go into that panic attack. What about some distress tolerance skills as a way to prevent panic attacks? This, the distress tolerance, I would say one is great at at, um, preventing. So being able to use some of the grounding skills or what DBT causes self-soothing skills, doing everything from watching your favorite movie or like going on a on a walk. I mean, some of the things that really speak to the tip exercises and the grounding exercises, but are also just giving you a little bit of positivity in that moment. What I will say, I think distress tolerance is a wonderful skill to use when you're already having an attack because you can't always prevent them. And part of, at least in part, I think the distress that comes from panic attacks comes from the sense of I am out of control. Exactly. I cannot control my body, which leads the upper part of your brain to make assumptions because I can't control my body, that means I'm dying. Or because I can't control my body, that means I'm out of control all the time, which is just feeding into that feeling of fear, that feeling of panic, that feeling of I can't control what's happening to me, I'm helpless, all of those thoughts that we put in our mind to make assumptions based off of what our body's doing. Personally, that was the worst part for me. I had mentioned before my history with this, I had panic sort of about a year and a half when I was a very young adult going into college. And the worst part of that to me was just the thoughts that I had. One, not really knowing what was going on, that like pure terror of what is happening to me. Something is wrong. Something is broken. So what it felt like. And sometimes even just the sense of not even, oh, I think I'm dying, but the sense of doom, something about this feels perpetual. This feels forever. I'm stuck here forever. And it can quite literally feel like a lifetime when you're in the middle of a panic attack. So in those sense, I would say, why do you have to only prevent a panic attack? Why can't you alleviate the distress and tolerate it a little better, elevate the moment a little bit when you're in the middle of it? Even if it's just as simple as like, kind of clutching your chest there, reminding your body I'm safe, 
this is temporary, you know, kind of finding some mantra I found to be really helpful with, uh, with clients, some mantra to sort of talk yourself through it. If you are crumbling on the kitchen floor in the middle of a full-blown panic attack, crying, feeling all those panic symptoms, can you pick yourself up and go to the carpet? So at least your body can be on a soft surface. Can you get up on a couch, go to a different room? Can you go outside and have your panic attack in the sunshine? Finding some ways to limit the distress. You're not helpless. And it sort of teaches your brain, even when my body feels out of control, there are things that I can do in the moment to make this a little less bad. And so those I really like, you know, for like when you're already in the middle of it or preventing as well, you know, trying to get somewhere where you feel safe, where you feel comfortable, getting your favorite blanket, whatever can be like self-soothing. I I like that a lot. What you said there at the end was even if you're in the middle of a panic attack, telling yourself, I'm not helpless. I will get through this. This does end because if you've had one before, you know that it stopped at some point creating as much comfort within that distress, kind of holding both of those things at the same time, smelling some scented candles or rubbing some scented hand lotion on your hands, eating a piece of chocolate. No, chocolate doesn't fix everything, but it can help you feel more comfortable (laughs) in the moment of distress. Mm -hmm. This has been so great, Brenna. I just so appreciate you sharing your personal experiences and your professional knowledge about panic attacks and panic disorder. So any other final thoughts to leave with the audience? I'd like to speak a little bit on general self-care. And I think a lot of folks who experience panic attacks, either on a regular basis or a semi-regular basis, it can easily become your whole life, whether it's from panic disorder, where this is like constantly happening and feeling like it's coming out of nowhere, or a very specific thing that triggers your anxiety brings about a panic attack or, or from trauma, these responses of the body being like constantly hyper aroused and stressed and looking for danger so that it can respond to things that feel dangerous, even when they don't, it's absolutely exhausting. So I would say padding yourself in between panic attacks with sort of the self-soothing things. So it can be things like using your favorite scented lotion, eating well, as in like food that tastes good and fills your body up and feels good um, and all of those things. But it also looks like getting regular physical checkups to make sure that there's no physical or hormonal reasons, you know, that could be contributing to it. Or maybe that looks like medication evaluation with a psychiatrist or with your general practitioner. Maybe it looks like just adding in positive activities that you've given up because of your panic attacks. For me, when I used to get them, I've been a runner for, oh my gosh, like 15 years now. But during that time, I was scared to run because it made me feel like I was having a panic attack. And so I started walking again, you know, that felt a little bit better. It gave me a chance to get outside and sort of reteach my body that breathing fast and feeling hot is not always a bad thing. So that took away the power of the panic attack a little bit and reminded me that it doesn't have to take over everything. Being social, making sure that you're connecting with people in your life that you care about making sure that your energy is not only going towards your panic. So doing hobbies that you enjoy or just relaxing, you know, maybe sometimes that does look like just allowing yourself some time to chill and watch Netflix or sit outside in the sunshine. I'm talking a lot about sunshine. I'm ready for spring to be here. We we are, we are. Well, and and what you're saying is also um, taking time to slow down without judgment about Mm -hmm. that. And so many people are go, go, go all the time. And when they do sit 
and get still, then they judge themselves for it. I should be doing this. I should be cleaning the house. I should be X, Y, and Z. And just giving yourself permission to sit and be still and clear your mind is self-care. And I will add one final thought. Therapy is self-care. And there again, taking time to engage in therapy with qualified and compassionate therapists like the ones at 180 and really taking care of yourself and your mental health. So thanks so much, Brenna, for joining us. This has been so great. And if you want to continue this conversation or seek out further treatment for your panic and panic attacks with Brenna, you can find her in our Raleigh location at 1-80counseling.com. Thanks, Brenna. Thank you. You've been listening to the Turning Your Life Around podcast, presented by 180 Counseling, with five triangle locations to serve you. Learn more at 1-80counseling.com. This has been an exclusive presentation of News Radio 680 WPTF and 98.5 FM, a Curtis Media Group station.